The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this morning and turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Matthew 28. Everything that we have heard and experienced thus far through the reading of Scripture through the singing of Scripture, and through our praise this morning, leads us to this place. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord laid. Jesus Christ made outrageous statements. Outrageous. He said things like that he had authority over nature. He had authority over sickness and disease. He claimed to have authority over tradition. The Sabbath day even for the Jew. Jesus claimed that he would judge all men. And claimed that he had the ability... To forgive sin. Outrageous claims. But the most outrageous claim is this one. That no one can take my life. I will lay it down. I will die. I will be crucified. I will be buried. And three days later, I am getting up. Could you imagine someone making that claim? It's ridiculous. And this morning, let's cut to the chase. Let's quit messing around. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty, right? Here's the deal. If that statement is not true, then nothing else matters. Nothing he said, nothing he did, nothing he claimed, it doesn't matter. And we can't even say that then Jesus was, well, he didn't come to do those things. It didn't happen that way, but he's still a good moral teacher. He is still a great example. My friend, let me borrow from C.S. Lewis who says this, if that's not true, then Jesus was a lunatic on the level of a man who believes he's a poached egg or he's a liar. We, We can't say he's not those things if that statement is not true. And my friend, this morning, if that statement is not true, then we, like Paul said, our preaching this morning is vain, it is empty, it is meaningless. Our faith is empty. The the friends and loved ones who we've lost and gone before us, they're gone forever. 
We are still in our sins. And Paul says, if this is not true, then we of most men and women are most miserable. But, if it is true, it changes everything. Everything. Jesus is risen as he said. Listen to me, my friend, this morning. The empty tomb proclaims this morning that he is risen as he said. The changed lives of the disciples proclaim this morning that he is risen as he said. The disciples who gave their life proclaim this morning he is risen as he said. And think about this. I don't think we spend enough time contemplating this fact. Jesus had half-brothers. We know of two of them, James and Jude. They both believed on this planet while he was here that he was crazy. They thought he'd lost his mind. They were not followers of their half-brother. They thought he was insane. And then something happened. And both of them became believers. And not only did they become believers, but James starts to lead the church in Jerusalem. And this Jesus movement is so powerful and big that the religious leaders say, listen, James, come with us to the temple, come to the top of the temple, and you proclaim that what Jesus said was not true. He was not who he said he was because this movement is taking over Jerusalem. So James is at the top, the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, I cannot do this. Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. He is coming again. And when he said that, they threw him out of the temple. He landed on the pavement. And before they bashed his brains out, he confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And then he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Listen to the power of this because... If you have siblings this morning, you have brothers or sisters, you know that when you grow up with somebody, you know them. I have three siblings. I've got two younger brothers and a younger sister. I am the oldest in my family. And if my brother, at the age of 30 or 35, went around and, and had this following of people and said, listen, I want you to know something. I am the Son of God. I am perfect. I am sinless. I've never done anything wrong. I want you to follow me. I'd have to say, hey, wait a minute, Scott. I'm your brother. I know things about you that mom doesn't even know. I know things that were broken in the house that she still doesn't know were glued together. I know you. And James and Judas would have known He's a living Christ. They shout out the proclamation that Jesus is alive. The early church came to being in the very city that killed Christ. Listen to me this morning. Christianity is the most falsifiable religion there is. There are names, there are dates, there are places. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, go ask the witnesses. They're alive. They have seen it. They know it to be true. And in the very city where Christ was killed, Christianity begins and thrives. 
proclaims a risen Christ. The early church, those followers, met in caves and dens. They were hunted down, they were persecuted, they were tortured, and they were killed. They never retaliated. They laid their lives down. And within 300 years, those believers conquered the greatest empire in the world. It shouts that he is alive, as he said. And for almost 2,000 years now, millions upon millions have had their lives transformed by this obscure teacher from an obscure village who was killed as a criminal. And for almost 2,000 years, millions have been changed. My friend, listen to me this morning. He is alive as he said. And he is not a lunatic. He is not a liar. He is the Lord of glory. And in that, now it makes a world of difference. We need to pay attention to what he said. We need to pay attention to what he did. We need to pay attention because someday, as the Lord of glory, we will give an account to him. It changes everything. And so this morning, in the next few moments, I just want to share with you the joyful message of God that leads to salvation. It's called the gospel. The gospel. And the gospel, there are several things that you must understand and realize as we look to this message because the gospel speaks about Christ, who he is, and what he's done. The first thing that I want you to be aware of this morning in the gospel is this. That we need to see God the way he truly is. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. Colossians 1 tells us that he created all things. And the first thing that we all have to know and understand is this. There is a creator in heaven. He is the true God. Listen to me. We look around and we look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the vastness of our galaxies. And they shout out, there is a creator We see the intricacies of of nature and creation. We see how it works. And then we look at this planet, the grass, the trees, the, the, the skies, the mountains, the oceans. We look at ourselves and shouts, there's a creator. And some of us, we try to suppress that. We know it to be true, but we suppress it because of the implications. We understand that if we acknowledge that there is a creator, that I did not create myself, there is a God that I am accountable to, it matters to me that someday I will give an account to this God. But in every one of our hearts this morning, we know there's a creator. And this creator is speaking and has spoken. And he has revealed himself through his word. His word tells us in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. That holiness means that he is separated from sin, from evil, from wickedness, and he is devoted to his own glory. This creator is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is just. This is the God of heaven. This is how he has revealed himself. His nature, his attributes, are perfect. He is the creator, the judge. He is holy. 
And then the Bible tells us that he is love. He's love. John 3.16, the, 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 the reference you see at every football game when they kick a field goal, right? John 3.16, for God so loved. First John tells us that God is love, and this is the creator. He is holy, righteous, just. He is love. But now listen to me. Most of us, I, I get that, I, I can agree with that, that's okay. But listen, that is an incomplete picture of God. Because he's more than that. Because he is holy and because his nature is perfect and he is good and his goodness is perfect, it means that in his holiness and his love, he must deal with anything that is contrary to his goodness. That's why Romans chapter 1 tells us that the the wrath of God from heaven has been revealed. That he will judge all ungodliness and uncleanness. Because this God who is holy, righteous, just, and loving knows that anything that's contrary to who he is will eventually lead in destruction and death and he will deal with it. That's God. That's the God who is. That is the true and living God. And we must know that this morning. That brings us to our second point, our human predicament. In light of what we know about God, now how does that fare for us? In the beginning, God created a perfect world. And our first parents were born in perfection and holiness. They enjoyed perfect communion and fellowship with the living God. The the Bible says that he walked with them in the coolness of the evening. Everything was as it should be. It was utopia. It was perfect. Man fellowshipping with the eternal God. And then, man believed a lie and believed that this God was not good. That this God was withholding something from him. That he was missing out. And he believed that if he disobeyed God and his laws, then he could be like God. And the problem with that was it was the furthest thing from the truth. And with that decision, Adam and Eve plunged this world into chaos and sin. The root was their rebellion against this good and loving and righteous God. And my friend this morning, that rebellion is within all of us. We like to, and this is what I do, I think, man, if I was in the Garden of Eden and it was perfect, certainly I would not make the same mistakes that Adam made. Right? Have you ever thought that? That's not true. We're rebellious now. We know it. We understand that. And we have broken God's law. And when man rebelled against God, he created separation. This holy, perfect God now is separated from his creation. There's a chasm now. Because he is holy, he is perfect, he is just. And we are not. If you think that you might be good enough, if you think that you're like him, God says, let me show you a mirror that reflects my, my, my attributes, my characteristics, my moral goodness. And we call that mirror the law. You've heard of it, I'm sure, the Ten Commandments. They reflect the character of our God. And if we're going to have a standard to see how we match up with him, the standard is that law. And here's how it begins. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have to tell you something this morning. 
I work full-time here. I pastor. And that's not the case for me. I know I don't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know there are things in my life that at times take precedent over him. I know that this heart of mine can be idolatrous. I fail there. And then God continues. And he starts by saying, listen, children, honor your parents. Now, can I tell you something? There's not an adult in this room who from the time they were growing up completely honored their parents. You you rolled your eyes, you huffed and puffed, you slammed a door, you made fun of them because they were wearing clothes that were 20 years old and they tucked their shirts in, right? That's not, God says, I'm a God of authority, I've placed authority, and listen, all of us have rebelled against our parents. We've done this. And then it continues. And he says, thou shalt not lie and steal. I'm a God of truth. Don't lie. Can I tell you something? We are liars. We lie to ourselves. We lie to God. We lie to the police officer who pulls us over. We lie to Revenue Canada. We lie all the time. If you're sitting here and saying, Pastor, I've never told a lie. You've just told your second one. (laughs) Easy. We lie. We are, and we don't like to hear this, but if I lie one time, I am a liar. We steal. We steal. And you say, I'm trying to be honest, but listen to me. We steal. We steal purity. We steal glory. We steal recognition from other people. We steal pens from the bank. We steal change from our mother's purse. Oh, I caught some of you. Okay. There. But, but right? We take things that don't belong to us. We steal. It makes us a thief. The law goes on. Thou shalt not covet. We are a nation of coveters. We want more and bigger and better. We want to be recognized. We want people to see us. Look at our Facebook, at least. I mean, this is, we covet stuff and things and attention. The law goes on and says, don't commit adultery. So at least I've not committed adultery. Jesus sort of ratchets this up and says, if you lust upon a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. So when you look at a man or a woman who is not your spouse in a covenant relationship, you're an adulterer. When you click on the computer, when you take a second and third glance, you are an adulterer. Thou shalt not kill. I, I know this one's not for me. And again, Jesus nails us. He says, wait a minute. If there is anger in your heart, something happens and at the drop of the head, it's like, oh! Right? Someone spills milk at the table, you want to take someone's head off. Man, you guys are terrible. Terrible. It's there. It's in us. We're driving in the passing lane. The guy in front of us is going under the speed limit. It's like, oh! What that anger is murderous within us, and we're all there. We have done it. And so God says, listen, you have, you have rebelled against me. You have separated yourself. I am holy and perfect. To be where I am, you must be perfect. And if you wonder about your perfection, look at my law. One through ten. And James says, if I fail or offend in one of those points, I'm guilty of all of it. And so God says to all of us, for all have sinned, 
We, this morning, are guilty. Guilty. And because of that guilt, because God is holy and loving and hates sin and the destructive nature of sin, one day he will take that sin, all sin, and confine it into a place called hell for eternity. This God will judge your sin and my sin. So you say, wait a minute, Rick, listen. God is good. And because he's good, certainly, he knows our framework, he knows we're dust, he will just let those things slide. But my friend, the very thing you're trusting in, God's goodness, is the very thing that will condemn you to hell. Because he is good, he will judge your sin. We know this. Listen to me. If, if you have a loved one, a, a child, a spouse, a dear friend, and, and someone abducts them, and you, you think you know who it is, and, and you call the cops and say, listen, I think this guy took my daughter, my mother, my child. I, I think they, and, and the cops come and they say, we can't prove anything. We don't. So the guy abducts them. And then he abuses them, then he tortures them, then he kills them, and finally after months, the man is caught. He's brought before the judge, and, and it's guilty. There, there is no probable doubt. There's, he is guilty. I mean, he's caught. The DNA, the evidence, he is guilty. And he stands before the judge, and the judge says, listen, you are guilty, but I'm a good judge. So, you are free to go. Are you okay with that? I'm not. Because we know justice needs to be served. Listen to me, my friend, this morning. We have looked at God's law, and we are more sinful than we like to believe. In God's perfect sight this morning, I am a lying thieving, adulterous murderer. And so are you. And because God is good, he will judge. If that were all there is to the gospel, we would be hopeless. But it's not. Here enters in the work of Jesus Christ, that God in his grace and his glory and his love, instead of leaving this rebellion, rebellious creation on its own, left to itself, condemned forever, God says, wait a minute, I will step in. I will invade. Listen, you can't get to me. You can't reach up to me through your goodness, through your faith, through your religion, through, through your good works. It doesn't work. I will come down to you. And walk among you. I will fulfill the law perfectly. And I will lay my life down for the guilty. You see, God is just. And he must deal with sin. And he will deal with sin. And what he has done is, through the person of Jesus Christ, he has given himself to be the payment for our sin. He became the substitute. He who knew no sin became sin for us. 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And on the cross of Calvary, God's wrath against all sin, your sin, my sin, sin to come, sin from the past, was poured out on the head of Christ. He absorbed all of that for you and for me. He paid the price. He was buried. And three days later, the, the vindication that God accepted this sacrifice was shown when Jesus Christ got up from the ground and lives victoriously today. That's the gospel. That's the picture. That's what the cross means. That's what this is all about. That we could not get to God. He came to us and he paid the price. He was our substitute. People like to use illustrations to help us understand this. And, and there are some that are very helpful. The one back to the courtroom is the judge sitting here, and I come in, and the verdict is read, and I'm guilty. And right when he's about to give the sentence of death down, the back doors swing open, and Jesus comes forward, and he shows his hands and his feet and says, Father, I paid their price. Let them go free. And there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you a better illustration of what Calvary's about. Standing in front of a judge, and the judge giving sentence, and saying, you're guilty to die. And the judge or the magistrate leaves his bench and leaves his chair and walks down and says, but I gave my life for you. This morning, the God from whom we need to be saved from is the very God who saves us. That's the gospel. Now listen to me, my friend. There are only two choices with this gospel. You can, number one, reject it. It's your prerogative. You can sit there and say, man, you are crazy. And I get that quite a bit. It doesn't bother me. I understand. You're crazy. You're nuts. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I've got my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. You can completely reject this offer. But, but let me show you just a verse that I think is somewhat interesting. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 29. Here's what it says. And the writer of Hebrews is talking about those who reject God's only sacrifice for sin. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified and an holy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Listen to me. If you reject the offer, God's only offer of salvation, not a church, not a religion, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, there is no other sacrifice. And when you reject that, it's like you trampling under your feet the blood of Christ. And he says something interesting. He says, you have despised the spirit of grace. Can I tell you something this morning? You have been given grace in, in two avenues. Here's the first one. You've been given grace this morning to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. That's grace. That's, that's the truth. That's grace. And you have been given grace this morning in the invitation to come to Christ. Don't despise it. Don't count it as something that you're going to step all over. If there was any other way, don't you think God would have done it? What does the cross mean if there was another way? And when I reject Christ, I am trampling under my feet his death. You can reject, or this morning, you can receive. You can receive. You can 
In faith, believe and repent. Repentance means a change of mind leads to change of behavior. I was going this way. I thought this was right. I thought this was accurate. I thought this is the way to get to heaven. But now I see truth and now I repent. I change my mind. It's not what I thought. I see Christ for who he is. And not only change my mind, change my life. The old, I don't care about the old life anymore. I'm going to follow Christ. He is my king, my Lord, and my Savior. And you can do that today. You can come to Christ today. If the Spirit of God is convicting your heart, if you know this to be true within, if you say, I believe that's right, then he says, come, and he will receive you. Now listen to me. You can reject, you can respond. And for those of us in this room who already know this and we have responded, there is a continuing to respond. i got to tell you something. I, I had to be very careful this morning. I, I could have cried about everything this morning. I mean, everything. And maybe just too much estrogen. I don't know what's going on. But it was, it was one of those, it was like, man. And I just thinking about the cross and the story. And, and, and listen to me. For those of us who have received this, we should glory in what Jesus Christ has done. But I was broken and lost without him. And he reached down and he saved me. I'm unworthy. You're unworthy. We should glory. We should rejoice. We should sing. We should lift his name up. We should praise him for what he's done. But not only that, if this story is true, and we believe it to be true, and it's changed our lives, then we ought to be telling other people this story. You keep it in here and rejoice in here and lift up hands in here and praise him in here. We should leave this place to our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors and say, listen, we have the answer in Jesus Christ. And this response should be that daily, this gospel should change me. When I know that God is the creator and I'm going to give an account to him, it changes my priorities. It changes what's important to me. When I realize I'm a sinner in need of God's grace, then daily I should be showing that grace to my wife, to my children, to my coworkers. When I understand that Jesus Christ died for me, he loved me, he gave himself for me, then I should love like he loved, give like he gave, and forgive like he forgave. We are being saved by this gospel. And so this morning, I say to you, he is risen, as he said, and it changes everything. And this morning, if, my friend, if you don't know him, don't leave this place. I'd be embarrassed. I'd, listen, this is the most important thing in the world. It's your eternal destiny. And for those of us this morning who know and love him, let us rejoice. Let us praise him today. Let us tell others. And let this gospel permeate our life so it changes us daily. Let's have a word of prayer.